On today's Spotlight, we go back to the year 2003 for an interview that Tim Matthews did with Charles W. Lindbergh, a World War II veteran who at the time was the last surviving member of the flag raising at Iwo Jima. Mr. Lindbergh has since passed away, but we feel that his story needs to be told, and so we are proud to bring you this vintage Spotlight, again recorded in the year 2003. It's our spotlight today on KRWC Radio, and it is my uh, honor and distinction to be able to uh, talk today with uh, Mr. Charles W. Lindbergh, who is a, a resident, sir, of, of what community do you live in now? Richfield. Richfield. I understand, uh, sir, that you are the last surviving member of the uh, flag-raising teams from Iwo Jima. Is that correct? Yes, I am. All right. Um Let's uh, maybe set up for our listeners uh, a bit, just uh, a little of the background of, of what was leading up to that point. Uh, that was February 1945, was it? February 19th. February 19th, 1945. We landed on Ewell. Mm -hmm. And maybe just tell the listeners a little bit of, of why the uh, island was uh, so strategically important. Well, Iwo Jima... <laughs> is located 700 miles south of Japan and about 700 miles north of the Marianas. And at this time, we were bombing Japan, and our B-29s had to go practically right over Iwo Jima to get there. Uh, they picked on them quite a bit, and they, get, uh, they got after our, our surviving planes that came down, and and uh, it just uh, it was a natural thing that that island had to go. Right, so it was uh, under the Japanese control, and it was yep. uh, it was a uh, an island that uh, right in the right in the flight route there, and was was very uh, essential. Had three two airfields on it, mm -hmm. and uh, size wise, it's not a real large island, is it? That's eight square miles, if you figure it up to to uh, land. Tell us a little bit about the terrain of that uh, island. A volcanic. There's an active volcano on the one end, Suribachi, and uh, you can smell sulfur there all the time. <laughs> but uh, it's just strictly uh, sulfur and, and uh, volcanic sand. All right. Now, the you were with uh, what division? You were in the uh, Marines. In the 5th. 5th mm -hmm. Division, and how many men uh, were involved with that? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's about 1,000 there. You've got... Uh, you got uh, Three regiments. So this was a uh, a pretty major undertaking. The Japanese had it fortified pretty well. Oh, they did. They. Oh, what we did. I think our intelligence was bad too because uh, we didn't know they were down in caves, and tunnels, and they were just sitting there waiting for us. We bombed that island seventy-two days around the clock before we got there, and here they were sitting there waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any estimates um, later on after the fact of, of how many enemy there might have been there? Uh, 22,000, I figure. Okay. So uh, immediately it, uh, upon landing, or it, uh, it, was, it was known that you had your work cut out for you. No oh, doubt. we did. I mean, they, they just walked. We landed right just below that, below that volcano. And... Uh, I mean, they uh, started in uh, with mortars from there and artillery and 
from the other end. They just walked up and down that beach with them. The casualty was very high. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the day or two that that led up to the uh, to the attack on the island. Obviously, uh, everybody knew that uh, the attack was going to be be launched. Uh, what what did they prepare you for, or how did they prepare you for for that invasion? Well, we 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 did training on, on the big island Hawaii in in volcanic stuff, and, uh, you know, stuff like that, and caves and that, but. Uh, uh, never anything like what we run into. And they landed you how? What uh, What was the landing craft like? Amphibian um, tanks. All right. We come in. I go right out of the end of the LST and right on in. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, you know how many uh, boats or ships were involved with that then? Oh, I never, I never saw a fleet that big in my life. We had everything. Battle wagons, carriers, cruisers, destroyers, and that—that uh, that, that really spellbound me when I saw that. Now let's uh, let's talk about the day itself. What what time was the invasion launched at? Uh, we were uh, nine o'clock in the morning of February nineteenth. Okay, and were you among the the first in, or or how many divisions well, I, before I that? I ain't sure. Which we, I think they they say we're in the ninth wave, but uh, it was so followed up. We know every night at beach, we don't know what we're coming on. Mm-hmm. Describe the weather that day. What was it like? Oh, the weather was good, actually good. We uh, had loaded us about loaded us about a mile out in these tanks, and when we formed up and then came in that way. Was it similar in nature in, in some respects to to the Normandy invasion, or it was more a little little different style, wasn't it? I think a little different style, yeah. But uh, certainly there was uh, <laughs> deadly forces at work on that. Deadly, that's right. Yeah. Um, I know that it it certainly must have been uh, horrifying some of the things that that you saw along the way because this was a very high casualty. Assault. Yes, it was. 6,800 killed. Yeah. Over 16,800 wounded. Now, once once the forces got onto onto the uh, the landing area or the the beach area, what what happened from there? What what was the plan of attack? Well, there? the plan of attack was uh, we were to cut to cut Suribachi off from the rest of the island. But, so that was it. That the first day we got across the beach. To the other shore, and uh, and the 28th Regiment, which I was part of, was given the job to take Suribachi. Now, Mount Suribachi was Volcano. was strategic because of what? It was just the well, highest point. Obs- observation right. and, and mortar fire, everything. Mm-hmm. And they were entrenched and dug in there all around the well, whole they, mountain. They, 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 they some people phrase it as a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, so the, uh, the it took it took us. Uh, from the 19th to the evening of the 22nd, just to get to the mountain, we didn't have a block, a block, we have, have to go. It was uh, just bunkers and uh, pillboxes and everything all the way, and then all these pillboxes and bunkers were interlocked underground. That made it mean, too, we knock out one, go, go ahead, and here they come up behind you. So they uh, definitely had it had a chance for a long period of time to have it well fortified. Oh, and all right. They did. Well, they used to mine sulfur on that island, you know, and I think a lot of the these caves and tunnels are in there. 
but uh, this Kurobachi, well, his name is uh, Admiral, he was pretty clever about that. Now, so obviously the uh, the enemy then had basically countless amounts of ammunition and that type of thing on hand. Oh, yes. All right. Um, so tell us about uh, about the assault. You say it take it took how long to uh, to go just a, about a city block's worth of yeah, ground? Yeah, from the 19th to the 22nd. And I think it considered about four full days, I think, like that. And... Uh, what was your division in charge of, or what, or well, what were you we doing? Were, I was in the 3rd uh, Platoon of E Company, 2nd Battalion, 28, and I run an assault squad, which was demolition flamethrowers and bazookas. And uh, our job was to mostly you know, burn caves and blow them up and do it where we could. Perilous missions, no doubt. It I mean, was. Very, very dangerous. <laughs> flamethrowers are dangerous as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Now, was there uh, a lot of landmines and stuff involved, too? Yes, there was. Mm -hmm. And so there was, what, special divisions that, that went out in front of you for that? Oh, no. We, we, I think we just, as we come to them, we'd get rid of them. Like, it's, it's hard. I've seen uh, some of our tractors and stuff, and, you know, the, the uh, uh, wheels are off, blown off by mines. Things like that happen in um, was was the island? Was there were there any civilians on it at all? No. Okay. Never seen a civilian. So this was a simply just a strategic island that uh, that had been taken over and and uh, used by the enemy then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So once you got a foothold, or or what was the what was the key to uh, to starting to turn this? Obviously, it took well, a couple we, of when we uh, we got to the mountain that. And on the evening of the 22nd, they came and said we'll start climbing in the morning. So the next morning, uh, our, our platoon was chosen to go up the mountain first. We uh, took off and uh, started up the mountain, and, and surprisingly, we had no opposition. We couldn't figure it out. We kept going and going and going, and we clear to the top. No opposition. And... Uh, well, the first thing, uh, Lieutenant Schreier, he was in, in charge. He said, get, we'll get that flag up. So we found a, two of our men found a long piece of pipe about close to 20 feet long. And they had, once had water supplies or something up there with them. Or I don't know what, but they picked that. We tied the flag to it, carried it to the highest spot, and then we raised it. Then's when the things came alive. The troops down below started to cheer. The ship's whistles out in the ocean took off. and uh, It was quite a very patriotic moment. I can only imagine that it uh, it must have been a, a real morale boost for for some guys that had been really under a lot of fire that's, and really dug in right. for many well, days. It would, we took the what I call we took their eyes away from them. You know, Suribachi was was controlling that island from up there, you know, and you know, now they couldn't do that anymore. But just about time that we got that flag up to our cheer, and then they started coming out of the caves up there, and we had to move against them. I remember the first uh, cave we got after, we had two end, ends to work from because part of one of them was caved in a bit. So I took a Thor and went flame thrower and went on that one side and threw some flame in there. And the guys were on the other end looking, waiting for somebody to come out, but nobody came out. So we, we sealed it. 
few days later, we dug it open. There were 72 dead in there. So there were heavy casualties on both sides. Oh, yeah. We had no casualties on the mountain. Okay. No casualties. A lot of people roll that up for force in movies and stuff like that, but we, we never lost a man on the mountain. So by that time, a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, the battle or the combat part of it had been done already. It was uh, well, a matter no, of they, they had that north end was tough, right? They had across a couple of airfields, and see, we stayed on the mountain top of the mountain until the uh, last day of February, and then uh, we got orders to go north. Well, that was on uh, on on uh, March first. Uh, we was up on the north. And I was after a fill bar, I mean, a border position, when I got wounded and, and evacuated from the island. So the the plan then was what to take the airstrips and uh... Uh, they'd already had, they already had they already had two airstrips in. Okay. But the, uh, further on up there was more rougher country up there. They had, they had to go through to get to, to get to them. Mm-hmm. And the fear was that they would just stay there, hold up, and basically just continue to to raise heck, uh, you know, as long as they could. That's right. Were they essentially surrounded, the enemy, at that point? Oh, yeah. They, 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 they couldn't get out. I mean, we had them all surrounded. I think most of their uh, tunnels were busted in, too, as far as I know. Now, was there um, uh, battle going on uh, in the in the water and in the air at the same time? No. Okay, so this see, was all... I didn't all... see any. I didn't see any. We had no kamikaze or nothing. And I didn't see any. any uh, we had aircraft up there doing shelling on the island, yes. So the uh, by that time, the the enemy uh, airstrips had been rendered useless then, and they right. they weren't able to get any planes up and that type of thing. Right. Did they, did they have a lot of planes on the island? Uh, I didn't see any, no. So they I were... Think, I think they got them off of there before we got there. Yeah. So they had just been using it as a, a stopping off point then, more or less. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was it was uh, it was there to pro- more of a protection for Japan. Right. Or what, what they called it. I mean, it was a. I mean, like to me, it seemed like uh, the closer you got Japan, the better the troops. I was in, I was down in the Solomon Sioux in, in Guadalcanal and Bougainville, and uh, down there they didn't seem to be a very, very good infantryman, you know. As we went north, they got better. Well, to put this in perspective, too, for uh, for listeners that that uh, maybe were too young to to remember it or have only just read about it, basically, it was a uh, this was uh, you know strategic to the point that I mean this was uh, an island that had to be had if we were going to continue the the war in the Pacific and and uh, continue on. At the time, I suppose thoughts of an invasion of the mainland eventually were in the works. Well, the other reason, you know, we could, uh, once we got them uh, fighter ships there, why well, our I mean, fighter planes could escort our uh, B-29s all the way to Japan and protect them. That was a big factor. Mm-hmm. I know they were, they were desperate, them guys, uh, with the B-29s. Uh, I remember on a, well, coming on a convoy from Iwo to Saipan when I was wounded, we had one of those B-29 land, land, land right now in the convoy. Talk a little bit about, uh, 
you know, you've certainly had uh, many, many decades now to reflect on it, uh, but uh, to be part of, um, I think, something that just about all Americans at one point or another have have seen the uh, the film of or the pictures of. There was actually there was actually two yes, flag no, raising. Yes, I was on there. the first leg. Okay, so the we were four hours ahead of the other one. And which was was the second one? Was that the one that was kind of staged for that's, filming? That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, that, you know, it's kind of funny. They, uh, our flag was up, you know, and our colonel down there got a little worried about that flag that somebody was going to get it for a souvenir because it was the first American flag to fly over the Japanese home territory in World War II. He wanted that flag to preserve it. So he ordered it changed. Well, this is where Rosendahl came into the thing. He went up with that bunch, it was four, which was four hours later. And when they switched the flags, he took his picture and got off the island, out to the uh, flagship, had it, and then had his uh, film flown to Guam, where it was, where it's, uh, 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 dark, how do you want to call it? Uh, dark room? Or? Dark room, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they saw the picture, what it was, and back to the States it went. And nobody ever knew that the flag was four hours ahead of that one. Then they held up Lou Lowry's film. He was the man that took our pictures. Held his film up for 32 days. So there was uh, not really a controversy, I guess, but just a little confusion that there had actually been two two flag raisings. Yeah, but uh, like I say, we had the mountain was secured when the second flag came up. Yeah. I uh, was sent some... Uh, some advanced material here from uh, Ginger O'Laughlin from uh, Maple Lake Senior Connections, who I'm sure you've uh, talked to. Uh, and she had sent some inf- uh, information along with some photographs. And uh, uh, the one photograph was uh, was the actual or the first flag raising then that I have yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And you were how old at the time, sir? 24. Okay. Did you have family back in the States no, then? No, I wasn't married or nothing then. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your reflections that you've had on that uh, that moment since that time. Obviously, the the war wasn't over yet, but uh, that had to be quite an emotional time. It was well, I uh, I was wounded, and uh, when I was taken back, I, I eventually I didn't know too much what happened because I went on I was on the top of the mountain when, when uh, Rosenthal come. I'd went back down to reload my tanks, and uh, so I didn't know too much about that, and nobody said anything to me about it. But then when I got to uh, Saipan. I was on Saipan maybe for about, oh, just about a week when somebody asked me if I wanted to see a picture of the first of the flag raising. That's wrong, definitely. He took a picture and showed it to me, and I said, no, 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 no. That's not the way we did it. And I was looking at Rosenthal's picture. <laughs> and I thought, what the heck here? And So they pulled me on to Pearl Harbor. I got there, I was there maybe about a week or two or two, and, and Yank Magazine came out of the States with a picture of both flags. Well, then I knew what happened. So there was uh, two different. One was kind of ceremonial, and the other one was was uh, realistic. Yeah, well, yeah, just a just a picture, you know. And, and I think Rodendahl knew what he was doing too when he took that picture and got out of there. Yeah. How long did the uh, the battle rage in all then before it was uh, finally over? Somebody told me thirty eight days, what I understand, to get them actually cleaned out. Yeah, that's a. Um, I ain't sure of that date, but I mean that's what I heard. Long period of time for a uh, for battle on a, a waterlocked island, no <laughs> doubt about it. Boy. But uh, oh, I when I, I came back to the states and I, 
after I got out of the hospitals, I was I was uh, transferred to Charleston, South Carolina, the Garden and Naval Brig, <laughs> best duty I had in the Marine Corps. <laughs> but, uh, I got there and then I started talking about this, and uh, I I found out that Lowry had come back to Washington D.C. again and was the, was the photography director for the Leatherneck Magazine. So I wrote a letter to him and asked him about this here, and he sent me some pictures and everything, and then I started talking about it. And I was called a liar and everything else that couldn't happen. Nothing like that could have happened. And I went at fight. It went. I, I this, you know, this is funny. When I got home after I was discharged, same thing. But then, uh, in 1954, when a monument in, Ar- in Arlington was dedicated, I was invited to that. I and uh, when I got there, uh, uh, Lieutenant Schreier was there from us. Herbert Michaels and Lowry. We were the only three from the first flag, but they didn't even recognize us. They put us back in a corner there, and that was it. Left us uh, three men from the second flag. It was all up there with about 150 uh, photographers after them. But they didn't talk to us at all. Hmm. Well, that's uh, disappointing, no no question about that. You, you've got the... Uh the actual, the actual story of how it how it all happened. Well, I it, it, wait, carry it further. I, uh, all through the years, uh, I I talked. I've been all over the United States talking about this here, and I've been to schools and all over. Uh, and uh, but I could made a lot of believers, and a lot of historians have picked this up and, and and talked about it. And then when it came to the 50th anniversary, I was invited to. Uh, Washington again for the, for the ceremony. And again, they didn't recognize us. And, uh, yeah, I even talked to the commandant uh, of the Marine Corps the day before. And we weren't recognized at all then. And I went, I went back again for Agent in America, where uh, Clinton was going to talk. And they said he was going to introduce me. Well, I thought, boy, this would be a first. So his done, speech was done, and he came and uh, come down the line meeting people, and all of a sudden somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and they said, he's going to meet you in the back room. <laughs> they didn't want, they wanted to get out. Huh. So uh, I, I, I had a talk with Clinton in the back room. <laughs> and that was bad. But then uh, the best thing that ever happened to me in uh, in March or February of that year, is I was invited to go back to Iwo Jima again. Me and my wife both were which we took him up on. And uh, we had a, a, quite a trip. We started out at L.A. and went to Pearl Harbor and on to Guam and to Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. Uh, a trip there, that seen that island again after 50 years really made me kind of hazy a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, but they, and it's funny, they, they, never, they treat, the Japanese treated us bad. It killed our time up there. You know, you got to be you can come on at sunrise, and you got to be off at sunset on that island. It won't let you anything, anything, nothing else. But uh, we 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 got through everything fine. And what's on the island today? Is it memorials or what is uh, it? No, no memorial. We we got a memorial on top of Suribachi. It's just one monument. That's all we got there. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Feel kind of bad about that too. That should be left, should be left uh, just as a lone island for everybody, you know, as as a memorial for. But 
they were pounding. I guess to get us out of there. <laughs> yeah. Do they uh, do they use the island for anything today? Yeah. They uh, well, even we were use it somewhere for when our aircraft are out there with carriers and practicing. And every once in a while, troops come in there and train. A very historic training training ground. Yeah, it would be. No doubt. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of guys that have been there, and they. <laughs> Yeah. It's awful, you know. You like that sand will drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. It's volcanic sand. Now, when you go around to these schools, uh, sir, what uh, what types of things do you talk about, or or what what do you hope that that the uh, youngsters and kids of today uh, will will try to remember or take away from this? Well, I tr- uh, truth is what I think about should be brought up. But that flag was it was that flag was a good picture, Rosenthal's, but it's under the conditions it was taken. What made what made it bad? So the uh, is is there still denial today that that uh, that there were actually two events? Or oh, uh, they, admit, they admit it. But I had uh, I, when Lou Lowry died here in, in nineteen eighty seven, and he was a very good friend of mine. We we'd got well acquainted over the years. I went to his funeral. He's buried in Quantico National. And when I was there at the funeral, here come Rosenthal. And then they introduced me to him again. He says, oh, he says, you were on the real one, wasn't you? I darn it fell over. <laughs> so he he himself admitted well, it. Knows, I talked to uh, in Independence, Missouri one time. He was down there, and I was there at the same time, and I talked, and so did he. And I, I told my point of it. Yeah. So there's really very little. Uh, there's very little ways to uh, to talk out of it nowadays. I mean, uh, everybody is aware. I, I guess I had heard about that uh, a long time ago that there was two flag raisings. So the the uh, the notion or the idea of it isn't being denied anymore. But you're still really not not given the credit the re- credit or respect that you'd like. Uh, that, uh, it was funny. I mean, it's a. Uh they even flew some of the men right out of combat from that second flag, you know. Took them right out of combat and brought them back to the States. Huh. Well, um, what other things do you uh, like to reflect on as far as uh, Veterans Day is concerned and, and uh, some, of the, some of the times that have passed since that time? And uh, this country has certainly had a, a lot of turbulence here in the last few years. Well, it's just a... I talk about, uh, when I go to the go there, I talk about, uh, I, I got a hold of some film, uh, or I, I got a slide projector I use, and I got some pictures of a bombing of Pearl Harbor. I show them, and then I, I show them Guadalcanal, where we went to Guadalcanal, and I show Bougainville, and I show uh, a return to Iwo Jima, and Iwo Jima, and then the return to Iwo Jima. So there's a lot of history wrapped up in that. Yeah, there is. I got good pictures. <laughs> How many of the uh, are, are there? Very many uh, um, men from your division that are left. Oh, there, there's there's a few. I remember in, in uh, Harlingen, uh, Texas. Here, uh, I think it was two years ago. We uh, they presented it with a plaque, and they wanted all our members of the of the, of the platoon there. There was 14 left, but seven showed up, which wasn't too bad. So there are still some. I know that. Oh, yeah, uh, I talked a few. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, some of the um, 
Pearl Harbor survivors, I know that their uh, their count is getting to be less and less too. Oh, yeah, I see them too quite often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what uh, what do you spend your time doing these days, sir? Well, I uh, I was an electrician all my years, and I retired now, and I just uh, spend most of my time uh, with this stuff for me, with Jima. I go still go out and dog, and I still. Uh, I don't. I don't fly. I don't fly anymore because I ain't got the best of us, I guess. And I, I, I keep travel around the country here, which includes Bemidji now too, and then uh, Rochester. I've been on there and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, despite the uh, the controversy about the two flag raisings, I'm sure you're a wealth of information if people want to know about the. Uh, the Iwo Jima experience, because there uh, certainly aren't aren't too many way uh, places to go for first-hand accounts of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I find people uh, I find in schools the middle middle schools are about kids are about the most interested in. It. Well, uh, Mister, well, I, I also received a silver star. Right, and I uh, apologize for not mentioning that the uh, the silver star, honest, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, top honor. Um, talk a little bit about that, uh, the the honor you received, and uh, some of the the uh, uh, things that led up to that. Well, just my work with a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> That's were, pretty, pretty deadly with it. <laughs> you were you were accurate, huh? Very accurate, I guess. Well, tell us about what the what was the flamethrower like? What? Well, we, we carried uh, five gallons of jelly gasoline in these tanks in our back. Flamethrower weighed 72 pounds, and uh, we had uh, ignition and uh, everything on it, you know, to, we wanted to use it. we pull one lever, a little fuse would go out of the front of the, air condi- of the conditioner, and it would, uh, and you could release the fuel. If under good conditions, we could get up to about 60 feet on them. But uh, if you pull the fuel lever and hold it down to only last you six seconds, the whole tank. Wow. You've got, you've got a fire burst. That's all it takes to do the job. Mm-hmm. Do they uh, still use uh, a, a version of that today or something I similar? Think they, I think they do, yes. So 70, 72 pounds, this was a, this was a pretty hefty thing oh, to it was. drag around with you all the time. Well, I was in good shape then. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, climbing a mountain with a 72-pound metal tank on here with uh, flammable fluid is... I made quite a few trips up and down that mountain with a tank full. Yeah. Well, uh, it's uh, it's an, uh, completely an honor to talk with you, and you, you have kind of a famous name besides around this yeah, that, area, that, don't that you? that kills me. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, <laughs> Charles Lindbergh. Uh, there we are. I've, I've took a lot of razzing over that name over the years. <laughs> Matter of fact, when this... Uh, you, you heard about this uh, monument at Long Prairie, haven't you? Uh-huh, right. The day they dedicated that was the same day they had a deal in uh, Little Falls for Lindbergh, the flyer. <laughs> that, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> <laughs> so people didn't know for sure which they were going to see. Yeah. Right? Uh, are you from uh, Minnesota originally? Uh, I, I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Okay. And I came here in 1951. All right. My wife was born in East Grand Forks. All right. Across the river. <laughs> so you made your way to the Twin Cities after the war then. Yeah. Sir, my pleasure and my honor to talk with you and uh, 
continued uh, good health to you, and uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. All right.